Welcome to In Clear Terms with AARP California. Conversations on issues impacting Californians of all ages. Here's your host, Theon Gordon. Welcome to In Clear Terms with AARP California. Join us as we dive into issues and policies that impact Californians of all ages, particularly older adults, and learn how you can connect with AARP to make our state more livable for all. I am an AARP volunteer and your host, Dr. Theon Gordon. Today, we are joined by Andy Miller, AARP's Senior Vice President of Innovation and Product Development, to discuss aging technology, what it is, why it's important, and the economic opportunities it presents. Andy, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here today. We are so excited to have you, Andy. First, though, can you tell us a little more about your work with AARP? Sure. So about seven years ago, I joined AARP to build out an innovation function. And at that time, we were really focused internally. How do we build out innovation, a culture of innovation? How do we build our own products and services? Well, over the course of the last seven years, we've pivoted a good bit. Our focus now is 100% on finding the most dynamic startups from around the world that we can that are focused on building solutions that help all of our members and all of the folks that out there that are over the age of 50. And it spans from everything, caregiving and digital health to financial services to having fun, right? And everything in between. So that's really what we're focused on. We have a really formal process at the HTEC Collaborative from ARP where we bring startups in four times a year. We work with up to 60 companies a year. And then we've been able to build this ecosystem that we now have over 375 companies that have joined. And it's pretty much a who's who, Dr. Gordon, of Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 companies, venture capitalists, everyone that cares about the aging space has joined our movement. Well, that sounds like an amazing movement to be a part of. So tell us a little bit more about what is AARP's Age Tech Collaborative. Get a little more in depth about that. You said it could include everybody from Fortune 500 companies to, I'm sure, volunteers like me. So when we started working with startups about five years ago, one of the rules being a nonprofit is that we can't sell the startups into our membership, right? So I can't meet a great company and automatically bring you and put you in the magazine or advertise to our members. But we wanted to help these companies not just validate their product or service, but help them grow. And so because we were were somewhat constrained about being able to bring them to members, we said, well, is there a way we can help them grow outside of members? And the idea was born to create this category because at the time there wasn't really an age tech category, right? There's health tech, there's fintech, there's all these sort of subcategories. But when you look at the economics, so ARP publishes the longevity economy research. When you look at the economics out there, the lion's share of the buying power of the wealth is over 50. And so these big companies are starting to to really understand, I need to be marketing to the over 50. I need to be having solutions that meet their needs. And they often don't. Right. Especially tech companies. They build for the 18 to 30 year old male. And that's not the audience that they should be focused on right now, or at least many companies. And so what we started seeing was this convergence of we're working with startups over here being very successful. 
but we're getting all these inbound calls from big companies asking us, how are you finding these startups? How are you working with them? At the same time, we're getting calls from the venture capital community. A lot of folks out in California, you know, the whole Sand Hill Road, San Francisco Bay Area venture world was calling us. And they'd often say, hey, have you heard of this company? Or what do you know about this age tech space? And so the light bulb went off one day and said, wait a minute, why don't we bring this all together? Why don't we create an ecosystem, a platform that enables us to leverage, I talk about our superpower is around convening, right? We can bring people together like no one else. So why don't we leverage our superpower, create a platform where we can convene anyone that cares about age tech and bringing solutions to market. And in doing so, we can get these startups that we're working with access to venture capitalists and investors. We can get them access to these big companies that want to pilot or do commercial transactions. And so we, when we launched this, it was a little less than two years ago where we launched the collaborative. The idea was, can we get 50 companies in year one? Can we have 150 companies by year two? And I'm super proud to say that not only did we blow away our numbers, we've now created the single largest ecosystem in the world bringing together big companies, investors, and startups to build products to serve our audience. And so that's what this is all about. Well, again, that's the superpower that we have. You're absolutely right. Our superpower is about bringing people together. Can you share in clear terms, because we're saying this word aging technology or age tech, I see it there on your shirt. So we're on the same page. In clear terms, what is aging technology? Yeah, so we talk about aging technology or age tech as the intersection of longevity and technology. Now, that's still probably not very clear. The idea is how do we help use technology to fill voids that exist? So that's everything from there's not enough caregivers, right? So how do we leverage technology to help there or bring new solutions to market that help people stay in their homes longer? The interesting thing about COVID as horrible as COVID was, even still is, it was a huge accelerant for a lot of startups, especially the folks that were in the fintech and the health tech space, right? Digital health and financial services, because we all still had to go to the doctor. We all still had to communicate. We all still had to pay our bills. We had to do all these things, but we're stuck at home. And for many of us, definitely the younger subset of our 50 plus category, that probably wasn't new. But what we saw was this huge rise in adoption amongst all categories over 50 plus. And it wasn't just, hey, I got to do a telehealth visit with my doctor. It was, hey, I'm trying to interact with my grandkids. How do I do that? My grandkids only text and use this thing called Snap. Like, how do I create technologies to, to create intergenerational connectivity, learnings, growth, all of these things? And it was really, really driven by COVID. So think of age tech as any piece of technology that can be used by really anyone, but we focus on over the age of 50, to help them solve for a problem they have. So it could be a very technical solution to help somebody that has Parkinson's, for example. Maybe they're having a hard time walking. There's something called freeze gate, right? So, so maybe that's a challenge that we're trying to solve for with a piece of technology. Or it could be, you know what, I'm caring for my mom. She lives in a different city. I'm trying to have some sort of monitoring right? Remote patient monitoring or something like that. So, you know, it's one of those things where it can be anything that helps someone age well. Anything that helps someone age well. I like that as a definition. And it's around technology, something that helps us to age well around technology. Most people would probably remember that 
old commercial and I don't remember what the product was for, but the person had fallen. They, they said, help, I've fallen and I can't get up. So some technology that helps with aging. In aging, sometimes we have tumbles, sometimes we have falls. So things like that. Great definition. Why is aging technology important now, though? Yeah, so I, I think it's it's always been important, right? I think the spotlight is just really on it when you look at the demographic. There's 10,000 people turning 65 every day. There's a shift in the demographic of society, not just in the United States, but if you look in Asia, for example, India, Korea, Japan, like some of the Asian countries are even further along in this journey than we are. There's just not enough people to take care of people. So we started really from a caregiving perspective in looking at how do we leverage technology to fill that void? We just don't have enough people. And then it turned into, well, if we're going to age in place, right? I actually don't like that term because I think it has a negative connotation. So we often talk about thriving at home or thriving in place. If you're going to let someone thrive in place, well, how do we empower them to do that with technology when you may have certain things happening, right? Maybe as we age, our mobility is not what it used to be. Right? Maybe our dexterity is not what it used to be. Maybe our speech is not what it used to be. So technology can help with all of these things. And just with, the again, the pure shift in population, there's a need like never before. And you've referenced that I've fallen and can't get up. That's the old life alert pendant that people would wear and you press the little button. What we've also learned is that as the demographic has shifted, there's a stigma with a lot of these things. Like that pendant, nobody wants to wear that. Because it shows that I'm frail, that I can't move, that I can't do things. But what if I could create a wearable? What if I could create a, a sweater that had smart threads in it that actually could do that automatically? And it knew that you had fallen and it could then alert somebody. So when you think about technology, how do we disrupt these things that we've known? How do we do it in a way that it's seamless, that it's actually cool to do some of these things? So that's really what we're focused on. And when you pair the shift in the demographic with Obviously, if you have a shift in the number of people, you have a shift in the financial, the economics, right? So they tend to have most of the capital, the most of the resources today. And so the big companies go, well, we're going to go where the money is. And so they often will start trying to build for our audience. And if that's not an audience they've really focused on before, this is all new to them. And it's interesting, even in the HSEC Collaborative, we have some of the biggest companies in the world that have joined our movement, companies like Walmart. General Mills, Ford, Hyundai, you know, Comcast, Verizon. And I'm certain that they're learning. I know they're learning a lot in the space as well. And that's why they're joining, right? It's, it's education. Yeah. And when we think about, like you mentioned, the stigma of the old life alert thing that was there, the stigma of something like that. There's also the stereotype around older adults and technology, like we don't know how to use technology. We don't know how to use the phone or social media or anything. So we're often overlooked in this technology space and thought of as not being so tech savvy. Is this a misconception? It is. It's a huge misconception. ARP actually fields a tech trends study every year. We feel that right about now, it's probably actually maybe even closing right about now. And when we release the results in December, we'll release a little bit, then we'll hold back and release the lion's share of the results at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas in January, which we have a pretty significant presence at. But the research basically says that the, I believe it's 50 to 60 year olds are the ones that are spending the most money on technology. 
believe it or not, they're the ones that are the early adopter of a lot of technologies, partly because they have the disposable income to spend on it. I can't remember the exact number, but it was something like eight or $900 on average, someone over the age of 50 is spending on technology each year. And then you look at usage and it's interesting. Facebook is struggling with this right now, or I, sh I should say Mark Zuckerberg is struggling with this right now. He recently came out and was not happy that if you look at the demographic using Facebook, it's mostly over the age of 50 now, right? And he didn't like that because he doesn't think that's cool, right? I'd argue with Mark Zuckerberg that that is the coolest thing he could have ever built is creating a platform that enables older folks that, and again, some may not be able to get out and about, right? So social isolation is such a big issue. Well, a platform like Facebook can really help with something like social isolation, right? So we're seeing more and more these big companies really understand they have to be playing in the 50 plus market. And no matter what their solution is, right? I mentioned General Mills. Okay, nutrition, great, but it may be far beyond nutrition. It may be nutrition plus exercise equals wellness or brain health. Or, so there's these blending or, or graying of the lines that we're seeing also that the big companies are understanding that historically I may have been in one vertical, but that vertical is no longer a simple little vertical. It's sort of becoming the aperture's opening and, and something like brain health is tied to everything we do. Which actually they should be so appreciative of the opportunity to expand and have these different levels instead of a vertical. You actually have this place where you can scaffold and build. So it, it sounds like this is clearly, a, there's just so much potential for companies to engage and support older consumers. Can you speak more on the economic opportunities? Sure. So the longevity economy in this data seems to be changing every year. You know, when you look at the buying power of the folks over the age of 50 in the U.S. and in ARP, and there's others that do research like this, but we try and quantify that into a dollar figure. You know, it's it's nine, roughly nine trillion with a T, nine trillion dollars. If you look at that in the sense of GDP, it would make people over the age of 50 in the United States and their buying power the third largest country in the world based on GDP. The buying power, the economic opportunity is tremendous. And that's what these big companies are waking up to, right? They're, they're understanding that. Again, and it, part of it is based on the shift in the number of people, but it's also a shift in folks that had worked their whole life that have you know, saved a bunch of money. They're now retired. And that's just where the money happens to sit. I will say the financial services sector is a bit concerned because they know that over the course of the next 20 years, I believe the number was north of $22 trillion is going to transfer from generation to generation. And so if you're a financial services company and you've only ever serviced the folks that are coming up that have all the money and you don't have relationships with their kids or their grandkids, that money may go elsewhere. So the other thing to think about that is their kids or their grandkids are very tech savvy. So they may only want to use certain tools. They may not want to have a physical relationship with a financial advisor. And so technology is, this is one area where you're seeing a lot of focus on how do we use technology to help people with financial literacy. Again, it can be either end of the spectrum, you know, the teenager or the grandkid, but how do we use tech to then give them tools and meet them where they are and provide them with the solutions they need and they will need in the future. They are absolutely going to need to be able to meet and bridge that gap. It sounds like there are some standout innovations or themes that are popping up in the aging technology world. Can you talk about what some of those might be? Absolutely. So when we think about 
the trends. And we've seen this in a lot of what we focus on follows ARP's sort of social impact areas. And so you, you also see some shifts in what ARP focuses on. Digital health is probably our largest category. We know that. That's not going to change anytime soon. Tightly coupled with that is caregiving, right? And so what's interesting about caregiving is it spans generations, right? It spans culture, it spans gender, all these things. Digital health becomes more specific to me, right? I, I need a solution because I've been diagnosed with something or my mom's been diagnosed, that kind of thing. We're heavily invested there. That represents about a little more than half of everything we do in, in the HSEC Collaborative. But then we have, I keep talking about financial services, we have this idea of work and jobs and savings and planning, right? So we want to make sure that people are having access to the education and the tools throughout their life to make sure that they understand how important it is to save and not just for retirement, but even having that rainy day fund, right? And so we talk about that, but in order to have savings, you have to have employment of some sort, at least normally you do, right? So work and jobs becomes a really important thing. We look at like the gig economy and what's happened there. And a lot of folks, when they retire, they don't actually want to retire, but they don't want to work full time. So this idea of a gig economy or being able to share your wisdom or your experiences with someone else and maybe get paid for it is really interesting. So we're focusing on that. The other big ones are mobility, and that can be anything from cars all the way to we have a great company out in California that has reimagined the walker. And it's one of my favorite companies because no one thinks about a walker being sexy or they'll tell you that they're a software company, not a hardware company. But when you look at their hardware, you would think it was designed by Apple. It's beautiful. It has that sort of Apple-ish feel to it. But what they can do with the walker is amazing. It has motorized wheels, right? So it actually can help. It automatically knows if you're going up an incline or down a decline. It'll help you power up or slow you down. But what it's doing the entire time is it has sensors everywhere. It's doing real-time gait analysis. And there's a lot of health data that comes from your gait. And it can be predictive. So now it's not only helping you get around, but it's acting as a digital health device. So we're seeing a lot around mobility. Voice. Voice is something that sort of transcends all of this, right? So everyone knows Alexa or Siri, right? Like, But how do you then add on top of technologies like that the ability to create instructions for someone who can't speak well, who may have a speech impediment, may have something like cerebral palsy or Parkinson's, or they have a hard time communicating. And so there's companies that are working with that technology to create a custom sort of lexicon based on how you speak, right? And so there's all kinds of opportunity there. But the last big category, we do a lot around nutrition and wellness and brain health. We do all that. But the last big category that I'll bring up is social isolation or social engagement, right? However you want to look at that. And just because, you know, the Surgeon General just came out and, and talked about what a challenge this is and how the impact on your health when you're isolated. We have a stat we quote all the time. Being socially isolated is the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day on your health. Let's think about that. 15 cigarettes a day on your health just because you're by yourself. And so we focus heavily on technologies that will engage folks. And the interesting thing is oftentimes that engagement is not just for the sake of engaging. It's packaged to a digital health solution, a caregiving solution, to another solution. So we sort of kill two birds with one stone. But that's really a huge focus for us is the isolation piece. And we do that through everything from digital gaming all the way to a caregiving app that's doing remote patient monitoring and stuff. So we're seeing more and more that being baked into everything. And now the one thing, the, the word that we haven't talked about or the buzz phrase that we haven't talked about 
that is everywhere is artificial intelligence. I was going to say, I just recently saw artificial intelligence, but for dealing with social isolation. So yes, what about that little buzzword? So AI, you're going to see baked in, it's going to be baked into everything, every solution, right? At the end of the day, we actually work with a company again out of California, down in Los Angeles. They do 3D holograms. And so they have this technology where they could beam you. Like you could literally put your phone up in front of you and it could beam you into what they call this light box. And it's unbelievably cool because they figured out how to make you beam in as a three-dimensional figure. So unlike FaceTime or unlike Zoom, where we're just seeing each other here, when you see what they've created, it's a totally different experience emotionally, physically. You just like, wow, you're sitting with me right now, right? Well, what they've done using AI is they've gone out and created bots. So they launched recently a William Shatner bot. So you can open this thing up and you have 3D William Shatner, who's quote, beamed in, and you can talk to it and it's leveraging AI and it's intelligence behind the scenes to get the answers that William Shatner will speak to you, right? So you're going to see things like that everywhere in the future. And it's scary, but really cool at the same time and meeting a need. And so it takes something like, like Alexa to a whole nother level, right? Imagine if out of your little Amazon Alexa dot, a woman popped up named Alexa and talked to you. And in theory, they're doing that today. That is amazing. So much that's going on with these innovative products and technology. I'm certain that some of the things that you just talked about probably will also reveal some of the gaps that you're noticing when it comes to technology and older adults. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah. You know, I, I think the gap that exists today with some of the really futuristic technologies has to do with things like privacy concerns, even something as simple as Alexa, like people don't realize Alexa's on all the time. She's listening in order to even interact with you. She has to be on all the time. And so there's already some concern about what's captured. You know, what is Amazon doing with my data? And I think that's going to just perpetuate because now you're going to have other things with AI happening. So I think there's a privacy concern, real concern. There's also a real fraud concern. And so you're just starting now to see this happen. AI can actually replicate someone's voice. So you could take this exchange we're having, you can use an AI tool and you can take my voice and tell it to say anything and it would say it in my voice. So all those robocalls that we get, you know, historically that we get or the phishing calls we get, imagine now if that phishing call comes in and it comes in from a voice that you know, a person you know, and it's like, hey, I, I need you to do this for me, right? You're not going to probably think twice about it. You're going to go, oh, yeah, that's Andy calling me and he needs my help and he needs me to do something and he left me a voicemail, so I'm just going to do it. And you're starting to see those calls happen now. And we've all probably experienced this where you get a random call and if you pick it up and you're like, hello, 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 and no one's there, they're trying to capture your voice. I just heard a story this past week. A young man was saying that his parents thought he had called them and said he needed money for bail. And they actually delivered the money. They lost $25,000 delivering bail to whom they thought was their son. He was at work. And later in the day, he called to check in on his parents. And they're like, you're out? Are you okay? Why'd you go to jail? And, all, and he's like, what are you talking about? I've been at work all day. They got scammed. They took the money to someone. They gave it to him. And that was that. So that's happening all uh, too often these days. And it's going to just continue, right? And how do you know? So I'll give all the listeners out there a piece of advice. This is a real low-tech solution. 
But today, there's many things we do with our technology, particularly like call it your, you know, using your smartphone to maybe do online banking or something, where oftentimes it'll do what's called two factor authentication. So you maybe put your password in, but then it will text you a code that you then have to put the code in, right? Okay. So what I would suggest to people out there, until that exists for everything we do, something like this, where you're getting a phone call, where it's someone's voice you know, and they're asking for money or asking for something, have a very low tech, low fidelity, two-factor authentication. And that's something like this. Dr. Gordon, you call me and you say, hey, I get this message say, hey, saying, I need money. I need, need help. Right? I need help. Andy, help me. <laughs> and I'd say, hey, all right. Hey, where's the last place we went on vacation together? Or what's the last car I bought? Or like ask a question that only you know that person actually knows the answer to. Because if it's not that person, or if it's a robot, it won't know what to, to say, or it's going to give you some random answer that's not correct. That's a great tip for our listeners. And the person that I know who went through that and lost the money, they came up with a code word, some code phrases or something like that to have for their parents. So from now on, they would have to have a code word. And I thought it was funny because I was actually traveling overseas and I had sent my daughter a text asking for something. And she sent back to me, when was I born? And I was like, is this my daughter? So I didn't even realize what she was doing because she wasn't trusting it. She works in fintech. So I guess in her mind, I don't know if this is really my mom asking me this question. I'm not giving her any information. Why would she ask me this? And she asked, when was I born and, and what time or something? And, and I sent her back, of course, I know when you were born, but you know, I cannot remember what time. And then she was like, oh, yeah, this is my mom's. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's great that she did that. And, and that's something we can all do that's pretty simple that uh, a bot wouldn't know, right? Or an AI. Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you for that tip. That's going to be so helpful. Now, tell us, what does the future of aging technology look like without all of the fraud? and? <laughs> Let's hear the, the good part about what the future of aging technology looks like. So I think it's going to make our lives significantly easier in many ways, right? The good part of AI is it can be, we all talk about generative AI, which is where you ask it and it tells you something. And, and that's fine. Like that's what you hear with chat GPT. And that's going to be interesting because it's going to let you engage in many ways without being an expert in anything right? You're just using natural language. You're being curious. You're asking questions just as if you and I were having a conversation. That's going to be great from a user interface perspective. You're going to be able to do things that you may not even thought you could do or ask a computer to do for you. And that's going to just make your life easier. But the other part of AI that's really interesting is the predictive part of AI. And this is really the smarts of the machine behind the scenes. And we all know this the extent of when you use Amazon and it has your recommendation engine. That's a very low level of sophistication using AI. It's just looking at other things you've looked at and making recommendations. But in the future, the smarter the machines get around us and how we behave and what we like and how we interact, it will be able to be almost a step ahead of us and say, oh, I'm going to anticipate that Dr. Gordon's going to need this. Right. And not just, hey, buy this product because you bought something else, but really in your everyday life, how are you going to interact at home? What do you need? Right. Situations change all the time. And so if, you know, somebody in your life, a loved one, all of a sudden was diagnosed with something and you're like, my world just had to change. And how do I very quickly educate myself, get the right tools in place, everything I need? What we know from caregivers, they'll say the biggest challenge they have is time management. 
So I think technology is going to take that from a big chunk of time to a very small piece of time. Like it's going to know what you need. It's going to be predictive. It's going to let you talk in your own words. It's going to let you engage. And that can be not just, you know, Google, it can be your car. Like what if you get in your car and, and you just say, hey, I need to do this, this, and this, and it automatically knows where to go, what to do, how to do it. This just reminds me of the Jetsons cartoon from back in the day. Uh, a little bit, where right? You, Rosie the robot is there delivering my food when I'm ready for it before I even know it. Right. Yes. I mean, a little bit like that. I do think when I think about movies, it's a little scary because there's a lot of sci-fi movies from back in the day that you're kind of like, some of that's actually happening right now. Did they know something we didn't know back then? But you know, you're going to see some of this stuff. Now, the rate of technology change is happening so fast. It's happening at a rate that we've never seen before. So it's hard for anyone, I think, to really crystal ball and make predictions as to what's going to happen. You know, I don't know if you follow ChatGPT or any of this, this stuff that's happening around AI when it comes to open AI or some of the other tools that are out there, but it's only been around for like a year. Yeah. And it, it's pretty amazing how it works as well. And I think the thing that doesn't perplex me, but I guess maybe gives me a little anxiety, is we're feeding AI the information. So AI only knows what we fed it, but then it can use our information, like you said, in an open source platform. So if I were to be able to, something as simple as, oh, here, AI, take all of my pictures and sort them by person. I want to make Every picture of Andy, put it in one folder so that I don't have to go through and do it. And AI could do that for me. But now AI has all of my content and it becomes open source and public. So those pictures are no longer mine. They're anybody can pull up and say, oh, pull up a picture of a guy with glasses with this complexion and all that. And they may pull your picture up and have you doing something that you normally wouldn't be doing. Yeah, that gets back to some of the privacy. And you even touched on something like the writer's strike that's happening, or, you know, or the actor's strike. I think the writer's strike is done, but the actors is not. Yeah, the writers is over. Now the actors are still there. Yeah, a lot of that was around AI. Absolutely. Right? Because you could argue, do I need a writer? Can I just tell AI, write me a script of a story, blah, 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 whatever. And it would do something. It would come back pretty good. You're seeing it now with even artists, right? Like I can tell certain AI, draw me a picture that has whatever in it. I think a lot of this is going to come down to how things are packaged in the interface, right? So when you use something like ChatGPT, it's not necessarily open to the world. Like there, it, it can't do a web live web search. It only knows the database that it actually can go search or can go that intelligence has been created. And not to get too technical, but what's happening is there's these things called large language models. So they're in essence like I'll dumb it down and say, think of uh, the internet's everything, right? Imagine if you could have these many little internets. And that's basically what a large language model is. It's a little tiny piece of information. But what happens is they train on these things. And that's how they get smarter because they keep focusing on this model. And so if you think about the good side of this is maybe there's tools. And again, technology is happening so quickly. Uh, maybe there's tools that let you manage all of that inside of any model. Right. I can imagine if someone created that, that'd probably be worth a lot of money right? because now you're helping someone not just manage their data. Maybe there's ways to monetize your own data. That, that's been a conversation that's been going on for a long time, especially in healthcare. It's my data. Why don't I own the data? And so I think you're going to see always bad actors. There's always going to, no matter what the tech is, there's people out there, bad actors. But you're going to see, I think, a lot of folks 
the benefit's going to clearly outweigh the downside, the risk. And if you can manage the risk appropriately by packaging these things in such a way that do you sort of limit exposure, it's going to be such a great thing for us. I think you're so right on that. And and we have to not be afraid of stepping into our future because this is how it's moving. And as you said, there will be bad actors, but hey, if we get involved in it and make sure that we start putting some safeguards up and understand what's happening, then we can always defeat the bad actors in that. This is so fascinating and we normally just don't have that much time as usual. And I do want to get to a couple of other things though. So how is AARP encouraging current and future innovators to start thinking more about older adults? A bunch of different ways. So the way we focus on startups, so so in particular folks that are creating new businesses, mostly our tech, not all, but mostly our tech, we are trying to create a startup program where we can help them shape. We often talk about validate, refine, and grow, right? We want to help from day one, help them understand the market, understand and get feedback. So oftentimes we talk about, you need to build a company from the outside in, not the inside out. And this is a very simple concept that you'd be surprised how many organizations get this wrong. If you start from your perspective and build out and build a product or build a company, you're not going to win. You're not going to succeed. you got to start from your consumer, from your user's perspective and see it through their eyes. And we talk about what we call an empathy map. You put yourself in their, their shoes and build from that. So we are constantly trying to tell the startups out there, hey, we can help with this. We can help you get it right. We can help you validate no matter where you are in your journey. And so we're out constantly. We... I mentioned CES a minute ago, the Consumer Electronics Show. In 2023, we had the largest exhibit space on the show floor in the Venetian sand side of the show. I am so impressed. And now I want to go to CES just because of that. (laughs) You want to go next year. Next year, we've doubled the size of our space through thought leadership. We are constantly pushing, again, whether it's startups or even now big companies, we have a lot of thought leadership sort of expertise in how to build for this audience things you need to consider for this audience. And more importantly, how do you find and work with a startup? Because these big companies, they just can't move as fast. R&D doesn't move as fast as a startup can move. And so we are the glue and we're the ones constantly out there trying. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Like the more big companies that we can get in, the more the startups are like, oh, I want to be part of this because I want to try and access all these organizations. And vice versa, right? The more startups we get, the big companies are like, oh, this is great. We want to find them. That brings back that collaborative model that AARP has put together. That's fantastic. That's right. So it's all about the convening, but showing up, right? So when we first showed up at CES, people were like, what are you doing here? Why is AARP at a technology show? And then we tell the story. We're here to support all these companies we work with and we're showcasing their technologies on behalf of our audience. And then people, the light bulb was off and people go, this makes total sense. And so we show up at every major conference. We're doing our own conferences now. We sponsored things like tech weeks in different cities to try and continue to get the message out. And the next step is how do we get this message out to the consumer side? And that's something we'll be working on. So that's going to be my question for you. How can our listeners learn more about AARP's work with aging technology? And are there ways that they can stay connected and get involved? Yeah, not quite yet. We're working on how to bring the consumer in. 
And this gets where it's a little difficult because as a nonprofit, our goal is social mission. Our goal is not to be a commercial entity or a go-between between consumers and products, even though there's a lot of value there. So we're trying to think through that right now and creatively come up with ideas of how we can engage the consumer base in ways, different ways. And that may not be directly through ARP. It may be through partnerships in other ways, but we're exploring that. We're going to have a big announcement at CES with one of the largest electronic companies in the world where we're working with them for, they're going to launch a concept, right? And so it becomes easy for us to then tout their concept that includes a bunch of our technology, our startups, but they are a commercial entity. They can go screen from the rafters. So we're trying to figure this out right now. Anyone can go to agetechcollaborative.org. We actually have a startup directory. You can see all the startups and, and sort of read about what they're doing. That's public domain. You can't see all the big companies. We, we sort of got wall that off, but the startup, you can go see the directory and, and see what people are doing. And we'll just continue to push the envelope and try and show up everywhere we can. Thank you. So Andy, if you could leave our listeners with one soundbite, what would it be? Embrace change. Oh, I love that. Change is coming. It's coming. There's no way for us to stop it at this point. Embrace change, but educate yourself in doing so. Embrace change and educate yourself in doing so. That is fantastic. Andy, thank you so much for coming on the show. Do you have any final comments before we wrap up? No, I, thank you for having me. Hopefully we'll be able to do come back in you know the near future and have more consumer stuff for people. But in the meantime, just again, there's a wealth of knowledge on ARP.org around different topics. And we do our best to sort of stitch ourselves into some of those those articles. And so I'm just hopeful that we'll be able to, to continue to grow this and, and, and create as much change and positive change and bring as many solutions to market as possible to help everybody. Andy, thank you so much for joining us on In Clear Terms with AARP California. This was a wonderful conversation. Again, we have had the pleasure of speaking with Andy Miller, Senior Vice President of Innovation and Product Development at AARP, on the very interesting topic of aging technology. In future episodes, we look forward to hosting experts who can shed light on critical issues in our state, how AARP California is working to ensure the voice of those ages 50 plus is heard, and how you, our listeners, can learn more and act on these important decisions. Thank you for listening. Thank you.